Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Have you ever had an aha moment reading a Bible passage that you've read many times before? You read it and you, you say, I've never seen that before. How did that happen? How did I just notice it now? Have you ever noticed a pattern or a theme in the Bible that you didn't see before until somebody actually showed it to you? Maybe it was a pastor, a Bible teacher somewhere, a friend. Why haven't I seen this before? Let me ask you a question. Do you think the Bible is a plain, one-dimensional text, or is it a rich revelation that has layer upon layer of insight the deeper you go? I think it's the latter, and someone who's helped me see that is my friend Dr. Chip Bennett. Dr. Chip Bennett is the pastor of Grace Community Church in Sarasota, Florida. He has two doctorates. He has one from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He has another one from Knox Seminary. He actually teaches at Knox Seminary when he's not running the church down there. And I've had the opportunity to speak at his church in the past couple of years a couple of times. I'll be back down there in August to do a skeptics night. And he has some great insights into the scripture. So I want to introduce you to my friend Chip Pennant. Chip, Chip, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Frank, for having me on the program. What an honor and a privilege. Oh, it's great seeing you, man. It was great being down at your church just a couple of weeks ago, and we got talking, and I, we got talking about podcasts. I did your podcast, and I said, man, you need yeah. to do mine, because some of these insights that we were talking about, we were just talking about them over dinner. I mean, I just love the insights, and I think Scripture, as I know you think, is a tapestry that has been yes. woven together uh, partially through the hand of God and obviously written by men as well. It's kind of a divine duet there that we get this, uh, the, the, this, this inspirational scripture. And before we get into some of these themes, that, and I'm calling them hidden themes in the Bible. That's the topic okay. of today's show. Hidden themes of the Bible. How did you first come across some of these hidden themes, Chip? Well, you know, <clears throat> Frank, first of all, I just want to say what a great job you do um, in, in being an apologist. You're probably as good as there is anywhere in the world. And I just oh, appreciate sorry. your ministry. And it is an honor. <laughs> it's true. And it's an honor and a privilege to be uh, to be on here with you. You know, um, I think that as you study scripture, um, and especially if you're in the academic world and you're forced to do certain things, you, you uh, as you study scripture and you go through, you start to put things together and you start to see how things tie together um, mm -hmm. and how things work together. And, and some of it you go, oh, I remember reading that. And, you know, do you hear Jesus say, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights. And you go, hold on, I never thought Jonah was talking about resurrection and spitting up into Nineveh was resurrection. But you sort of start to see some of these things as you read Scripture. I think the one of the aha moments for me is in Luke 24, you have a couple of disciples that are headed from Jerusalem back to Emmaus, and they're discouraged. And you know they, they felt like that they came to Jerusalem to find the Messiah. In fact, they say in the text, we had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. And, and they're walking away discouraged. And I love this about Jesus. On the day of his resurrection, 
I don't know about you, but if it was resurrection day for me, I'd be celebrating and partying and going all mm-hmm. this stuff. Jesus in his tenderness meets two discouraged disciples on the way to Emmaus to minister to them. It just says something about the character of who God is. But on the way that they're there, he does what's classic comedy in the, uh, um, in the uh, Hellenistic world. He comes in masquerade. They, they don't know who he is. They can't, they don't notice who he is. Right. And he walks, he walks this journey that's about six miles, um, two and a half hour journey if you were to walk it. And it's and Luke tells us very clearly that he he told them all things concerning himself out of the law and the prophets. And a lot of times when I'm you know teaching maybe a hermeneutics class or talking to people about biblical interpretation, I ask them, could you take two and a half hours right now and tell me about Jesus? out of the Old Testament. Because if our hermeneutic doesn't allow us to do that, then we don't have the hermeneutic of Jesus. And as we continue down that road, we we find out that he stops with them and has a communion with them. And w- what they say is, didn't our hearts burn within us when we heard him talk? And mm-hmm. so part of what, you know, in, in my educational pursuits, um, specifically um, in my degree at Knox, one of the things that we really looked at, because it was my DMIN dissertation, is I, I, I did a uh, study with a group of people from church um, leaders, pastors, so on and so forth, as to whether or not an Alexandrian hermeneutic was better than an Antiochian um, hermeneutic. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is, is typically when you go to seminary, you have historical grammatical hermeneutics. The Alexandrian hermeneutic, which did not win the day, by the way, was what you see a lot in the church fathers. And you see this um, almost a mystical, typological type of uh, understanding that most people pan and say, you can't do that. You can't have anything to do with that, so on and so forth. But the more I looked at sort of this understanding of how to read scripture, the more I looked at Paul talking about, you know, Jesus being the rock that followed them in 1 Corinthians 10, I'm going, hold on, they're seeing Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament. So I need to start looking. And so what happened was, is going back to the Old Testament. And, and looking at all of these themes and all of these stories, um, I started to realize, oh my goodness, th- there's so much stuff in the Old Testament that's talking about Jesus. There's so many themes that are going on. And, and, you know, and then the other one was in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says something that's really important. He says that Jesus died according to the scriptures. So, so obviously the scriptures he's talking about um, are, are the Old Testament. The New Testament's not been written. So and obviously as you know, that, Jesus- that, That's part of the creed too. That's, that's early, yes, as is. you know, Chip. Yes, that, it is. That, Absolutely. That Paul wrote it in 1 Corinthians 15, but even atheist scholars believe that's back to the event itself. 100%. And then he says this key phrase that Jesus rose on the third day mm. according to the scriptures. So here's the question. Where's the third day resurrection in the Old Testament? That's right. And when yeah, you go back it? and act, well, it's all over. And, and, and what's interesting is I, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think there's 40 or 50 references in the Old Testament to a third day. And mm. what happens is because we bring in this sort of um, enlightenment rationalism to the text, we're missing some of the tapestry that God has really um, just beautifully themed throughout scripture. You know, for instance, you, you, you know, you think about the third day um, in Exodus 15, um, they've, they've come out of Egypt um, and they're three days, the text tells us, out of Egypt, which as you know, when you go three days without water, it's bad. It's a bad deal. And they show three up minutes the, without water. I'm, I'm it's right. Well, I need some right uh, but now, three Jim. days, but three <laughs> days science tells us is important. And so they come to the waters of Mara. And if you remember the text, the waters are bitter. They cannot 
drink the waters. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is what the text says. It says that the Lord pointed Moses to a tree. Why did he do that? In, in, in the in the Hebrew root for point is where we get Torah from. That this pointing to a tree, he takes a tree and he puts it in the waters, and it takes the bitter waters and makes them sweet on the third day. The question I would ask you is: Is there a tree that you and me know of that sure. take the bitterness of our lives and make it sweet? Yeah. And so you you start um, Genesis twenty two Abraham the story of Abraham he mm-hmm. he goes with his his son. Um, Isaac, he and it says specifically, it's the third day, not throwaway words. These these words are so important. And so he comes to Mount Moriah, where, as you know, the temple will eventually mm-hmm. be constructed mm-hmm. and all the sacrifices will be there. And so on the third day, and I think the Hebrew text is very probative. Um, Abraham believes they're going to come back. But if you don't believe that, Hebrews 11 says that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. So there's no question that's what's going on in the text. So he lays the wood on Isaac to carry up the hill. Anybody else going to carry wood up a hill for yeah, you Simon and me? Of okay. Is. He, yeah. You know, he, he, he goes up, he goes up the hill mm-hmm. and the son says, dad, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And he, he says, don't worry, God will provide. He gets up there. And of course, obviously he binds Isaac. He's going to pierce him and God gives him a a, a ram in the thicket. What's interesting is, is that's all on the third day. And what that text should be asking us is, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb, not the ram? And I think John brings that in. And John, here's the lamb of God. We'll take away the sins. We're going to pick this up right after the break. You're listening sure. to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek. My guest is Dr. Chip Bennett, pastor of Grace Community Church, Sarasota, Florida. A lot more on hidden themes in the Bible. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org, crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. I want to mention I'll be at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, one of my favorite churches in America, out there in Chino Hills, California, this Wednesday night, June 30th, the 7 p.m. service. Hope to see you there if you're anywhere in the L.A. area. Uh, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, as you know, just a little bit uh, east of L.A., beautiful area of California. So I hope to see you there this Wednesday night. We're talking to my friend Chip Bennett, pastor of another one of my favorite churches, Grace Community Church in Sarasota, Florida. Before we get back to the uh, to the third day, uh, which we will in, in just a minute, Chip, tell us a little bit about the church. I know you have two locations. We, we, were, we were going between the two locations down there in Sarasota. Where are these locations and when do you guys meet? Yes, so we have the two locations, and yes, you got the Mr. Toad's wild ride between the two that I drove you. To. But uh, so, so the first one's in Lakewood Ranch, and uh, brand new facility. We opened it up in January, and we have three weekend services there. We have a Saturday night and two Sundays, and then we have a church um, on Bee Ridge Road, eight thousand Bee Ridge Road, which is uh, a little south of the uh, of the Lakewood Ranch Church. And uh, that church miraculously um, was given to us. Um, it, it had been a church that had been there for many years. And the uh, elders met with me and they decided to merge with us and give us that. And we've done some renovation there. And uh, we have a Sunday service at 10 um, that's growing. We're probably going to have to add another service there as well. But the uh, the church has been fantastic. The last three years, Frank, we were um, in the uh, Outreach Magazine's top 100 fastest growing churches in America. God's just been super gracious to our church. And uh, we've just seen a, a lot of growth. In fact, we just 
in the last couple of months, we've baptized, I think about 50 people. Um, Excellent. You know, so we're yeah. still, still growing in the middle of all this stuff. And, uh, um, our attendance is basically back, um, and, and maybe a little better than it was pre COVID, which is incredible. Cause you know, not, not every church in America can say that. So God's been faithful to us. And you're doing some really good Bible teaching, some of which we're talking about today. As you can see, Chip gets into the real tapestry that the Scripture is. And before the break, Chip, we were talking about the significance of the third day, sure. uh, which, of course, is the third day from Jesus dying, and then he rises on the third day. But mm-hmm. it, this is all over the Old Testament as well. And before the break, you were talking about the third day uh, with Moses, you were talking about the third day. Where were we when we we left off? You, you know, we started, left off. We, we, well, we had we had Genesis twenty two. We were talking oh, yeah. about Abraham and Isaac. You know, right. and, and the text is very clear. It's on the mm-hmm. third day that this mm-hmm. that this happens. And te- technically, let's let's look at that. Is Isaac goes up? He goes up to be to die. He has a sentence of death on him. He's going mm-hmm. to be sacrificed. But instead of being sacrificed, obviously there's a, a ram in the thicket. But the point is, is that. Isaac, too, as far as Abraham is concerned, is going to be raised from the dead, even if he kills him. And when is it? It's on the third day. This is important because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus would be raised according to the scriptures on the third day. You know, And when you go through the Old Testament, this, this theme of the third day, there's the Jonathan and David story on the third day. David's delivered. Um, on the third day of creation, you have the uh, um, dry land that comes up from the briny sea that allows life to actually start. Um, you even see the third day um, in, in the text of Luke 24 that we were talking about the earlier. Mm-hmm. It says on the third day, um, you know, you, you see it in Luke 2 is a beautiful passage where Luke understands this this third day. Mary and Joseph um, have gone to Jerusalem with Jesus for the festival and they leave. You know, and for us in America, we're like, how in the world could you leave your son? But they they did. And typically in the ancient Near East, they would travel in caravans. And so you sort of thought that people would get the kids and so on and so forth. And so a day in, they realize they don't have Jesus, you know, and so it's the second day they come to this realization. Luke tells us on the third day, they find Jesus in the temple. Why is that so significant? Well, it's significant because the Lord and his providence is preparing Mary for a day where one day she will lose Jesus, but she will find him on the Mm. third day. And these texts are just beautiful, but there's so many other themes. And I want to make sure that we jump from one theme to the other here. You've got a couple other things. You oh, sure. Talk about. Yeah. And, no, let and me I want say, you know, we, we, and we can continue on the third day. I would just tell your <laughs> readers to, to get a, to get a concordance and look up third day in the old Testament and start reading those passages. And what they'll find is that those are days of deliverance and days of resurrection. Um, you know, it's really uh, the uh, son that, uh, um, Elijah raises from the dead. If you read it, it says there was a day there was another day and there was a day it, uh, three days are, mm-hmm. are recorded there in the text and then this boy's raised on that third day i mean these are all over the old testament we could go for three days talking about the third day there's, there's so I'm much of this but i'm ready <laughs> we're ready let's keep let's, let's just uh, also talk for a second just a, a briefly about typology chip because okay we're just talking about yes. isaac right uh, yes. Abraham and Isaac, for example, yes. uh, to a certain extent, Abraham is a type of Christ, as is Isaac. Right? Abraham is the father of a, of a nation. Uh, his son was innocent. His son was a sacrifice. He was sacrificed on the same hill Jesus was sacrificed on yep. in Jerusalem, Mount Moriah. Uh, yep. God's grace saved him from. I mean, there there are so many parallels of 
people in the Old Testament that parallel the life of Christ. This is called typology. Uh, where, where did this typological interpretation come from? It appears to be all throughout the Old Testament that, that there are types of Christ. It, things yeah. that happen to people in the Old Testament are typical of Christ. Where did, where did this come from? And when did people start noticing this? Well, I think that what you, you know, first of all, in Galatians, Paul actually uses the word in Greek is tupos, which mm -hmm. is we translate type. He says that's a type. So, you know, um, I, I think that you could say it goes as far back as, you know, the, the New Testament writers. I think what happened was, is when Jesus rose from the dead, that was a radical departure from what the Jewish people of the day believed. They did believe there would be a national resurrection like Ezekiel's Valley of the Dry Bones. They, they believed that, right. but they didn't believe that one man in the right. middle of history would resurrect. And so that made them completely have to rethink what it meant to be Jewish. You see that like in Acts 15, they're still trying to figure out how do we do this? Jesus rose. What do we do with the Gentiles? Israel's not been set up as a nation above all the nations like Isaiah 2. And yet now everything's Jesus has done what he did. How does all this work out? I think what happened was, is that they learned from the, the ministry of Jesus. In John 5, um, if, if you remember, there's a some scribes and Pharisees that are looking at a text. And Jesus says to them, he says, you search the scriptures, the Old Testament, because you think that in them you have eternal life. He says, yet they testify of me. I think Jesus is the one that really started the ministry here of reading the Old Testament, not through the lens of national Israel, but mm. through the lens of himself. Because what he did is he constituted the 12 disciples around himself. He went to Egypt, just like Israel, and came out of Egypt. You see that in Matthew 2. Right. Um, I, I think that what happened was is the early church. And I think for Paul, when he converted, he realized Jesus is everything that I was looking for. And so he was able to robustly go back in the Old Testament and rediscover all of these gems. Now, well, I will say this. Um, I grew up in a um, denomination and in a movement that typology was um, used in a very negative way. It, it, there was like everybody tried to shoehorn things into stuff. It wasn't there mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. all. And so there are dangers of, sure. of this. But I think that I think we're told in Scripture there are some clear things. Um, you know, nobody, nobody would have said that the Jonah story was about the resurrection of Jesus, but Jesus told us that it was. And if yeah. Jesus has that hermeneutic, I think that we need to figure out how do we read the Old Testament through the lens of the way Jesus would or the way Paul would? Um, you know, and I think that that's that's where this starts is at the very inception of Christianity is to find Jesus, you know, in the Old Testament. And I think that's one of the things that, unfortunately, a lot of the hermeneutics that we we teach in higher education limit us from seeing Jesus because we have such a historical, grammatical, mm. and such a post enlightenment rationalism that doesn't allow us to just really see some of these things that I think are clearly there. Yeah, look at Jonah, for example, as a type. First of all, he dies in the belly of the great fish. We don't know if it was a whale. Some people say it's a, a tail of a whale or a whale of a tail. Actually, <laughs> he did die. Then he's raised three days later. He goes to the Gentiles. He preaches the gospel and he saves Gentiles. That's, well, right. that's what Jesus does. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, 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 but, but let's be honest. We probably wouldn't have come to that conclusion no. unless Jesus had told us that. That's right. But that's my point is that once you once you allow Jesus to say, hey, you can read the Old Testament and find me, I think all of a sudden things start to change massively.
And that's you know, and for me, that's been that's been you know the biggest thing for me is to read. This that is way. also a I think a pretty strong apologetic chip. What I mean by that I is I think it is the biggest apologetic in the yeah. world that there is divine authorship of scripture. Period. Yeah, because how does all this come together over fifteen hundred years? by people who didn't live at the same time. And we've got about 40 authors of, of this collection that we call the Bible spread over 1,500 years from different people at different times in different places. And this is a tapestry woven by or through those people, I should say. There's got to be some sort of divine hand here, don't you think? There's, there's no question to me. Um, you, you, I don't think you can read you, – you and me couldn't go to a library in America. I don't care what library we went to and pick 66 books off of the shelf mm-hmm. and open them all up and have the themes that ran through all of those 66 books like you see in Scripture. There has to be a divine mind that was behind all of this. I mean Paul says it's – he uses the word theonoustos, that Scripture's God-breathed, and, and I think that's true. It doesn't take away from the human authorship. doesn't take away that Luke's got better Greek than Mark does. It, it, none of those things change, but somehow in the providence of God, God was orchestrating the way these, these passages and Scriptures were. Um, I mean Luke gathered them. He tells us in Luke 1, 1 through 4, he gathered them, but somehow God put this thing together in a way where there is thematic unity all the way through. I mean, think about it. The Bible starts with a wedding in the garden and ends with a wedding in the garden. I mean, mm. how's that happen? How's that right. happen? Right. In, in fact, you say that one of the hidden themes, it's not hidden. Well, it is hidden if you're just reading it with the standard way we read text Correct. in the 21st century. I, it is hidden. Correct. It, yes. It's not hidden if you can open your mind up a little bit and look at these common themes that run throughout the Scripture and we're going to Correct. talk about a bridal theme, but we're running up up, up against a break here, Chip, again. Okay, that's fine. so much to okay. talk about. There is. Um, and uh, it, it it is amazing. Tell people where they can go, because they're going to want to hear more about this, other than going to your church, and they can do that if they're in the Sarasota area, or they can watch Correct. it online. Uh, you they, also they, teach they, some of this material, and you have a mentor by the name of Warren Gage, I believe. Yes. Uh, tell yes. us a little bit about the YouTube channel you've set up where people can go to learn more about this. Yes. So, so, um, you know, having had a church and yeah, I never, Frank, I'll be honest, I never thought the church would grow like it did or mm-hmm. have the success in, that, that we've had. Um, I, uh, I have a heart for the local church. I have a heart for pastors, um, you know, and, uh, the, the reaching the next generation was started to help pastors effectively reach the next generation. And I feel like the way that reading scripture this way really taps into a poetic world that the millennials are really drawn towards. And, and we'll we talk will about tell that after yeah, the break. We'll, we'll tell you more about that right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk. My guest is Dr. Chip Bennett from Grace Community Church, Sarasota, Florida, back in two. Hidden themes in the Bible. Well, they're not so hidden if you look at the Bible the way Jesus did, and that's what we're learning today from my friend Dr. Chip Bennett, who has a couple of doctorate degrees, and uh, he has a church in Sarasota, Florida. It's right off Highway 75, uh, right in uh, Lakewood Ranch there, and another little bit further south, two campuses. And if you're not in that area and you want to see Chip's teaching, which is very good, very direct, and uh, very applicable to what people go through today, you can go to his website. Chip, Chip what is the website they can actually watch yeah, the, the, uh, the sermons on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, GraceSarasota.com. 
is our website. Okay. And then the YouTube channel is reaching the next generation. Okay, good. Reaching the next generation, easy for me to say. Reaching the next generation is the YouTube channel, which is just getting started, friends. There's only about 30 or so videos up there uh, just getting started, but a lot more is going to be posted soon. It's going to talk about some of the themes we've talked about today, hidden Bible themes and many other aspects of the Christian faith. So reaching the next generation, subscribe to that YouTube channel, and then go on over to the website for the church again, which is? Is gracesarasota.com gracesarasota.com or if you google dr chip bennett sarasota you'll find it all right let's talk about the bridal thing theme chip because that's well it's not so hidden once you once you point it out but it is kind of hidden if you don't point it out what what is the bridal theme yes i'll do i'll do a quick uh um swipe and we can come back again at this at another time um so, so you start off in the bible and the the very first thing that you have is the creation of adam and What's interesting is the way when Adam doesn't have um, a, a wife, how this all is uh, recorded in Genesis. It says that a deep sleep came upon Adam. And the, the, the Hebrew there is almost like a coma. It's a death-like sleep. Adam in his sinless perfection, his side is pierced. And out of his side is pulled substance that creates his bride. Then he is healed. He is awakened in the garden to his wife. And that theme, that bridal theme, runs all the way through Scripture. Um, you, you pick it up at the very end, obviously, the, the bride of Christ and Revelation, um, the, the this marriage supper of the Lamb and all that. But it's sort, of, sort of how all this works, and it's, it's really beautiful. John picks up the bridal theme probably more than anybody else. And I, I, I personally am of the opinion that John wrote both John and revelation um mm-hmm. but but J- john picks this up because he he in, his, in when jesus dies and he hangs his head in the sleep of death on the cross his side is pierced and out of his side flows the blood and the water that creates the bride which is the church but mm-hmm. what's interesting is is when jesus wakes on the third day um where are we at well we're in the garden because Mary says that she thought Jesus was the gardener. And so mm. he awakes to a type of bride, which is good news for you and me because she's been delivered of seven demons, which means that Jesus's bride can be someone that, you know, has doesn't isn't perfect, which is beautiful. Well, in John 3, Jesus, John picks up on that theme again um, because he says that John the Baptist says the bridegroom comes. And of course, the bridegroom comes to, to find a bride. Um, and if you know your Old Testament bridal themes, the the longest narrative in the Old Testament is the story of uh, Isaac and Rebekah, which is this beautiful story of um, Isaac's at the well. And, and do note this, many of the patriarchs find their wife at the well. You got to mm. read the stories. They're there. They're at a well. So he comes to a well, middle of the day. Nobody comes to the well, middle of the day. Uh, you come in the morning or the evening because of the heat. She comes, here's, here comes Rachel, middle of the day. Um, and, <laughs> and he's so caught up with her beauty that he goes and takes the stone off of the well that usually takes three or four men to do. He wants to show his power and he ends up, you know, falling in love with this girl. She goes back into town, comes back out with the family, you know, all of the stuff that goes on. And of course, you know, the story um, after seven years, Laban says you can have this woman. But of course, at the end of seven years, he ends up getting um, Leah. And he, the text is very clear that he doesn't love Leah because she's not pretty. Well, John knows that story because after the bridegroom comes in John 3, we go to John 4. And where does Jesus go? He goes to a well. Well, you should know if he's at a well, we, 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 you know, 
who's the woman that's coming? Well, mm-hmm. um, it's a Samaritan woman, and she's been married five times, and she's currently living with someone. She's not a pretty woman. She comes to Jacob's well. That should you should go. Okay, bingo. We're reading Jacob's well. When does she come? Middle of the day. Bingo. Story again. And and so she comes up and she says something very, very, very um, clearly to Jesus. She says, "Are you greater than our father?" Jacob. And and the answer is he is. He's a greater than Jacob because he can love the ugly woman. He can love you and me. And she is such a beautiful picture of the church because she's both Jew and Gentile as a Samaritan. Mm. I mean, these things are just not thrown together. There, there's there's a beauty, there's no way people sat down and had this much intellect to come up with these stories. These are these right. are divine themes. That, that are written in there and, 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 you know, chosen. And so that bridal theme goes all the way through that, you know, the, um, you know, Jesus talks about the, the father that sent forth a son to find a you know bride, you know, and, and I think that, you know, all of those, all of those themes are there. And so you, you bookend in scripture with this bridal theme, marriage in the garden, marriage in the garden, and all the way through this, this idea of, you know, the divine bride, the you know, um, the Song of Solomon in the middle of the book. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible is orchestrated that every book is perfect, but I think it's pretty interesting that Song of Solomon is right in the middle of mm. our Bible, which is this whole bridal theme again. You know, and you, and, uh, you, and, you also have it you know, in Hosea, right? Where oh, Hosea yes, absolutely loves yes. his bride, but his bride is yeah. unfaithful. He buys That's her right. back. He saves her. And the bride, of course, is is Israel who's unfaithful, and God buys Israel and us back because we're unfaithful. The theme goes everywhere, Chip. It's amazing. That's right. It's all the way through, and and and, and there's just so many of these themes that that just run all the way through Scripture, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that once you once you open your mind to the horizons and the vistas in this room that you didn't know existed, all of a sudden the Bible takes on this. And, and what it does is it it's like the Emmaus disciples. They said, mm. didn't our hearts burn inside when mm-hmm. we heard this? That, that's one of the things that I, as a pastor, want to see in my congregation. When I tell these stories, I see people go, we've never heard anything like this before. Isn't that what that's they right. said about Jesus? We've never heard anything like this before. So for me, good gospel, biblical preaching, people's hearts burn and they go, we've never heard this before. Now, some of this is written in, in a few books that you've mentioned to me. Uh, Dr. Warren Gage, I think, was a yep. professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, you've learned some of this from him and, and in your own insights. Tell us a little bit about him and, and those books if people want to go further in that regard. Yeah, you know, um, uh, you know, Warren and I both have um, two classes that we taught for Lagos Mobile Ed. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and so Warren has, I think, 10 books on Logos. So if you have any Logos subscribers, they can just get the whole War Engage biblical library. Okay, um, the, uh, the, you know, you can also go on Amazon and there's quite a few, um, uh, you know, books there as well. Um, Warren also has a group called the Alexandrian Forum, and I'm a part of that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Warren and I are currently working on some things to broaden this into a larger scope than just a few books that he's written. Um, you know, he's basically passed the torch in some ways to me and said, run with this thing. And, okay. and so I'm, I, I, I am, but, uh, Warren is a, 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 a seminal thought, but, but I want to take this all the way back to the early church, the yeah. early church fathers read this way. Um, mm-hmm. the, the disciples that were of the disciples themselves read scripture this way. And again, some of it is, I think shoehorn. Some of it is a little bit of a reach. 
But I think that they had this window of understanding that the Bible's about Jesus. Well, isn't it interesting, Chip, that whether you take this kind of approach to the Scripture, this hermeneutical or interpretive mm -hmm. approach, sure. you can unlock these themes. But even if you don't, you still get the message of salvation. You don't need to know all this, in other words, to be a Christian. Because no. I hear some people no, say, no, no, no. you know, why is God being so subtle here? People's eternity is at stake. And you're not saying yeah. that he's being so subtle that you don't get the message of salvation. No, correct? no, this is the way I say it, and, and I'm, I'm stilling this. I can't think of who said this, but, mm -hmm. but I am borrowing this from somebody I heard a long time mm -hmm. ago. It, it, it's, the, it's, the, it's the best way to explain salvation. Um, the thief on the cross is cussing Jesus, and mm -hmm. then all of a sudden he, he says, remember me when you come into paradise. This, this, I heard this guy when I'm talking about how the thief stands now in heaven, so to speak, and mm -hmm. they're like, how'd you get in here? And they're like, what do you know about the Trinity? He's like, I've never even heard of the Trinity. What do you know about verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture? I don't even know what the Scripture is. Um, right. Did you get baptized? No. How did you get in here? And he says, uh -huh. the man in the middle. That's how I got in here. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that to me, you know, we can make salvation so difficult. It, it, the, the first century Jewish people are like, hey, did you hear about that guy, Jesus in Jerusalem that died on the cross? Guess what, man? He got up. Are right. you in? You know, and, and, and we can make it so complicated. What we do is we, we find tributaries, Frank, that, yeah. that, that really need to back up into the river. The river's deep and it's, it's wide and it's robust and it really comes down. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, God in the flesh, died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day? All this other stuff's just beautiful for us as Christians to know about Jesus, but it's not the, it's not the gospel. Right, it shouldn't right. be confused as the gospel. It, it's interesting, the First Church Council in Acts 15, there's a passage in there, I can't remember who says it, whether it's Peter or James or someone says, maybe I think it's Peter who says, we don't want to make it difficult for the Gentiles, don't trouble the Gentiles. to come don't to trouble faith. The Gentiles. Right. Yeah, we don't want to make it difficult. Them. In fact, my friend Andy Stanley has that on his wall. Let's not make it difficult for right. people to become Christians. Now, that doesn't mean once they become Christians, we don't want them to become disciples we do jesus didn't say make believers he said make disciples but to get them in the door you don't want to say you've got to do x y and z to become a christian that's what the whole acts 15 uh initial church council is all about you just accept what the, the grace of jailer god says philippian jailer goes what do i got to do to be saved Paul yeah, says, yeah. Well, how'd you vote how'd you vote how'd you do no none of that he says <laughs> he says he says He's very clearly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your household. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's the message. That is. So we got the bridal theme. Let's just start the yep. serpent theme with a minute to go, and then we'll pick it up right yeah. after the break. What's so, the, so, serpent so the serpent theme? theme well, it starts off in Genesis three. You remember, you've got uh, um, you know Eve and and, yeah. the, and the serpent. You know, and, and he says that you know you'll strike her heel, but she will crush your head. What's interesting is, is he says that it will be your seed. Let me ask you a question, Frank. Do women have seed? No. Men. Yeah. So where'd she get seed from? Virginal birth. Mm. Virginal birth all the way back to Genesis. Again, how do, right. how, do, how, do you, how do you account for that? So this theme of crushing the serpent's head is all through scripture and the serpent's all through scripture as well. Just to give you an example, the David and Goliath story, um, the New American Standard Version translates the Hebrew right. It says that um, Goliath had scale armor. He is serpentine. And what does oh. David do? He crushes his head because this is a theme that runs all through scripture. 
You never heard this before, did you? These are called, well, we're calling them hidden themes in the Bible, but they're not so hidden when somebody like Chip Bennett tells you about him. He is the pastor of Grace Community Church, Sarasota, Florida. Go to his YouTube channel, Reaching the Next Generation, and we'll have more with Chip right after the break. You're listening to Frank Turek. Back in two. If you want to learn more about how to defend your faith, don't sign up for CIA because we're full. The Cross-Examine Instructor Academy, we have a waiting list now. It's uh, going to be at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in August, so don't, don't, don't apply anymore. We're already full. By the way, I will be at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, Lord willing. This Wednesday, June 30th, 7 p.m. service. Hope to see you there. You can also learn a lot more about apologetics and uh, philosophy and theology by taking courses over at Southern Evangelical Seminary, ses.edu, that's where I went, ses.edu. And if you tell them that I sent you over there, Frank, uh, ses.edu forward slash Frank, you can get a discount on your first course. We're talking to my friend, Dr. Chip Bennett, talking about hidden themes in the Bible. And after you learn uh, a different hermeneutic than you might have been taught, a different interpretive method than you might have been taught, these things may jump out at you all over the place. And Chip, just before the break, we were talking about the serpent theme, and you were talking about something about Goliath's armor. Let's go back to that because yeah. that yes. it almost seems yeah. like that's a shoehorn, Chip. That, that that you're going a little too far with that. So, well, so you know, some, some people may that. see that. Sure. Well, that's fine. Yeah. So, so let's let's back up. We know that we were told in Genesis three fifteen, we were uh -huh. told that there would be a seed that would crush the head of the serpent. First and prophecy in the Bible, go, right there. Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and so when you start going through Scripture, you start finding that the, the seed of the serpent, um, these people that are not God's people, um, you start to pick up some of these serpentine themes, and you also start realizing that many of them are getting either something jabbed through their head or their head is crushed mm -hmm. or their head is taken off. There's a lot of the stuff. So Goliath, when he comes out, um, in the Hebrew, and, and I think it's the New American Standard Version that translates this right. And part of this reasoning of translation is most of the biblical translators who do a great job. All the translations tell you tell you good things. So no no rip on the biblical translators, but most of them are grammarians. They're not mm. literary people, and mm. because they're not literary people, sometimes they miss little cues that are put in the text that I think should be seen. We're told that. Goliath had scale armor. That's literal Hebrew. Um, it's not chain mail armor. That's not literal Hebrew. It's scale armor. And so the scale, which is serpentine, it could even be translated serpentine type armor. It, 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 it's the, the root word there is, is of a serpent. And um, it, you can't miss that. I mean, th that's just the word. It's a serpentine scale word. And so here comes Goliath out to fight David, who's in the lineage of the of the tribe of Judah that will ultimately have the Messiah and the and the ramifications of David, um, you know, being like Jesus. I mean, Bethlehem. I mean, we could just go on and on and on about about this. And uh, he, when he kills Goliath, he crushes his head. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think there there are literary themes in the scriptures that I think we we miss. We have Paul. It says that his feet were fastened in the stocks. Um, the Greek word, I mean, you think you've had Greek, xylon is the Greek word. Xylon's mm -hmm. wood, it's tree. 
It's, that, that's literally what that word means. His feet were fastened in the wood. Well, that's important because that's a stigmata. There's, there's all these things. Paul um, is, 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 is hit by the serpent in his hand on Malta. And, mm-hmm. and he throws the serpent into the into the fire. These these themes are are just they're just not laying out there, just disconnected. Um, there's there's a lot of connection. I think of passages like uh, um, the paralytic and in the Gospel of Mark, which we know is a quadriplegic um, because he he not only was told to rise, but he was told to pick up his mat with his hands. And I think the fact that he was being carried by four people shows that he, because Greek doesn't have a word for quadriplegic. Um, so we have a man who's immobilized, being carried by four people. Uh, now, envision the literary stuff going on here. What does that look like? That looks like four pallbearers carrying a dead man, something that we wouldn't think of unless our minds were allowed to start thinking literarily. So what mm-hmm. do they do? They come to this house. They can't get in. So what do they do? Well, they go up on the house and they dig. The Greek there is they dig through the roof. That's mud thatch. They dig through, okay, and they lower the man down. This is like a burial. This Mm -hmm. is a man that looks like he's dead. They've dug and they've lowered him down. And as he's lowered down, who's in there with him? Christ. And Mm -hmm. what does he say? rise. I mean, this is like a beautiful passage to use at a funeral. You know, we may be lowering this person in the ground, but this was a believer in mm. what Christ's word. And, and Christ doesn't, he doesn't say get up. He says, rise in the Greek and take up your bed and walk. These literary themes are all through scripture. I think of like the Sea of Galilee, um, it, you know, you've got, it, which is a retelling of the story of Jonah. Um, it, you know, it, it's in Mark 4. They're, they're in a boat and the storm comes. Where's Jesus sleeping? Mm, right. That, 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 that doesn't make, that doesn't remind you. These are literary cues. This is not, this is not a thing. It's thematic Jonah, but it's literary cues. And so he's asleep. What do they do? They get him up. And, and what does he do? He calms the, the sea. Well, in Jonah, they have to throw Jonah over the boat. So Yahweh, the God of the universe can calm the sea. Mark is literarily retelling the story of Jonah in the story, it, it, it happened. It's this is these are literal stories, but God knew, like God's reenacting all of these Old Testament stories in the person of Jesus because the Old Testament is all about Jesus. And so Jesus gets stands up in the boat and says, "Peace be still." What's Mark telling you and me? Mark is telling you and me that the God Yahweh that calmed the seas in Jonah is in the boat with the disciples, and His name is Jesus. He's deity, you know, and so as you go through the 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 the, uh, um, the Bible, it's not just hidden themes; it's also allowing yourself to read in a literary way. You'd ask me about Galatians, and Galatians, the literary theme for Galatians is the Exodus. Mm-hmm. Um, he starts off in chapter one, verse four, and he says that God has delivered you and me from this present evil age. And he lets us know in chapter three that we are sons of Abraham. Chapter four, we're no longer slaves. We are now sons. And he calls the Galatian church in chapter six, verse 16, the Israel of God. The literary theme is the Exodus. And Mm -hmm. you can see this in almost all the biblical writings, 
there are these literary themes, and then there are literature themes that go through. And once you start seeing these things, you can't unsee them. They're there as clearly as can be. I want to go back for just a second to the coming of the storm, because it's it's been pointed out that that actually, in addition to Jonah, has a great parallel in Psalm 107. Because in Psalm 107, here's what it says about people in, in, in ships that have been overtaken by a storm. This is Psalm 107. It says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they had quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. This is Psalm 107, verse 23 to 30. And who saved them? The Lord saved them from the violent sea. And now you go to Mark chapter 4. It's the same Lord, except he's physically in the boat. (laughs) That's exactly right. right. And yes, in Psalm 107 that. is about Psalm 107 is about Jesus. Go to Psalm 22. Mm-hmm. Read Psalm 22. And and how in the world can you not be at the foot of the cross, watching them gamble for the garments? Mm-hmm. Watching. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's it, it, it's about Jesus. I mean, Paul even says in Romans 15:4 that all the stories in the Old Testament are written for our instruction. So obviously, right. God superintended what's there, you know, to get us to where we are now. Um, I, I think. I, I mean, Frank, I completely agree. I think Psalm 107 is about Jesus. I think the story of Jonah is about Jesus. Um, I think that all of Scripture is about Jesus. And I think that that in and of itself is so important because we're not then reading the Bible so that we can have maybe Bible bullets to just point out everybody's fault and you know problem as much as we're mm-hmm. reading Scripture to have a relationship with Jesus. And that doesn't mean that morality is not important. You and I both know that it is. And we need to know what the Bible says about how to live our lives. But I think when we read scripture, it should be this engaging moment that that leads us into a relationship with Jesus. And we learn to see the Savior in, in, a, in a more clear way. You know, Chip, there's so many more themes that uh, we could talk about, but we don't have time. So we're going to have to do a part two of hidden themes in the Bible. I'm in. And uh, I know that our listeners would enjoy that because once you see these things, as Chip has pointed out, you can't unsee them. And it really, I think, encourages people to say, wow, this is this is not a dusty old dry book that has, no. you know, that just men created out of thin air. This is a beautiful tapestry written by 40 different people over 1,500 years that nobody could have put together Unless there was some sort of divine hand behind it, Chip. That's right. 100%. To to me, um, Frank, you know, I think all Christians have doubt from time to time. I think Mm -hmm. all Christians wonder about things. Um, You're not being honest with yourself if you haven't gone, okay, is there any chance that I blew it here and went on a wrong path or whatever? Um, For me, the more I read scripture, the more I spend time in, in, in God's word, the more I realize that this just isn't thrown together. This is... There's there is a beauty here that is beyond just paper and ink. There's just something rich here, and uh, for me, um, all of these themes and all of these stories are not really like it's cool to be able to say, "Look at how cool this is." But it really it 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 it, it just really settles my faith. I think of one last thing I'll tell you because we started at the road of Emmaus. Let's let's end there. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the in the Genesis account, if you remember the the story of our fall. Is, is based on verbs. Mm-hmm. She saw, she took, she gave, mm-hmm. and they ate. These, these verbs. Okay, so Jesus on the road to Emmaus 
as he gives the, and, and what does the scripture say in Genesis? She, she took, gave and ate, and it says their eyes were opened. It, mm. it, it, Emmaus, he, he gave them the bread, they took, they ate, and what happened? Their eyes were opened. The verbs of our fall have become the verbs of our restoration in Jesus. That's Dr. Chip Bennett, GraceSarasota.com. Also, reaching the Next Generation YouTube channel. Check those out now. Trust me, you'll want to hear more. And we're going to come back with Chip in a, in a week or two. We'll do another session. Great being with you. I'm Frank Turek. See you next week.